Welcome to the Chad Whittle Podcast. My guest today is Tom Kemp. He's a Silicon Valley-based CEO, entrepreneur, and investor. He's been interviewed by The Guardian, Politico, The Washington Post, CNBC, Fox News, and others. Tom holds a Bachelor of Science degree in computer science and in history from the University of Michigan. His new book is titled Containing Big Tech, How to Protect Our Civil Rights, Economy, and Democracy. And he joins me now. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on board here. It's a great time to have you on because a lot is happening. We got artificial intelligence, chat GPT, Meta recently launched their Threads app. A lot is taking place and happening in technology right now. Absolutely. You wake up and there's a new headline. So yeah, you got to definitely keep up with it because really the economy has gone digital, right? And this is important stuff to uh, keep up with. And in your position, in my position as a communication professor, I'm always trying to keep up with all that's happening as you are. And it is hard. There's so much taking place. It seems it's just constantly moving and moving faster and faster and faster. Feels like all the time, every day, every week. Yeah. And actually, that was kind of one of the points of writing this book is that I wanted a simple and comprehensive book that looked at the issues, even though some of the details may slightly change with some of the headlines. I wanted to take a look at the issues associated with the collection of our data and privacy, AI, which I know we're going to talk a lot about today, but also just the overall monopoly positions of the large tech providers. And I I wanted to boil it down into kind of a simple and comprehensive look and kind of connect the dots as well. So that was actually one of my goals was to take this complexity and and make it simple. And, And that's why I have this book called Containing Big Tech that looks at the problems, but I also try to provide some solutions and recommendations, not only for consumers, but for policymakers as well. What you said there, making it simple, that is so important because for your average everyday American, that's not, you're studying this, following this news and technology like you are, like I am, it can seem overwhelming, the chat GBT, the artificial intelligence. So breaking it down in a way that is easy for your average everyday American I believe is so important. And I want to start with AI. Let's talk about AI, uh, artificial intelligence. So could you kind of explain based upon your research in your book and just your overall knowledge, explain how is AI already impacting and will impact the daily life of your average, everyday, middle-class American? You know, we've had AI for probably the last 10 or so years, and it's really reached consciousness with the whole release of ChatGPT. So artificial intelligence is taking computer programs, but they start to learn and they can adjust. And it's based on the data that's being fed into them. And so, for example, we've historically have had the stock trades happen automatically, right? and the algorithms have gotten better. But more recently, we've seen AI uh, really grow significantly in its usage in the medical field, you know, helping detect diseases and analyze lab results. If you have like a Tesla car, 
It can identify a bike versus a lamppost. We see that in cybersecurity where there's better threat detection. And also we see it in with a lot of the personal assistants that can interpret our voices and make recommendations. So AI has been growing and it's been in use, but it's really reached peak consciousness because of the, the programs that can take text and generate images or take text and generate lengthy paragraphs. And there's a lot of issues associated with it. Obviously, you being in a university setting, just like maybe 20, 30 years ago, the big concern was, can people bring calculators in (laughs) or their computers in when they take finals? Now, do we somehow ban chat GPT from its use in an academic setting for people to hand in papers? Or you have a situation in which the chat GPT, because if bad data comes in, you get bad data coming out. And so there's some serious concerns, not only about copyright protection, that people's material is being ingested and utilized, but also that some of the material and information being ingested by the artificial intelligence systems is incorrect. And so you then get bad results as well. So there's a whole host of fundamental issues that we're now facing with respect to artificial intelligence. Yeah, I've seen, I've read articles, there's been discussions among my colleagues. A lot of people in higher ed, they're very concerned about chat GPT and AI. I'm somewhere in the middle. You know, I believe just like any other technology, it can be used for good, it can be used for bad. Also, you're not going to be able to stop it. You know, the train has left the station. You cannot put it back in the box. So you can either not learn how to use it and not learn how to use it in positive ways in the classroom or in the business world, or just put your head in the sand and, and, you know, hope for the best and, and not use it. I feel like the best thing to do is to learn positive ways to use it in the classroom and in the business world because you're not going to stop it. Yeah, no. I think that, look, I mean, in the end, calculators were not banned and kids, when they when they take their math finals, they do have the calculator right there because you just can't have people ignore the prevalent technologies. But there's two big issues. And I talked about some of the the minor issues, which I consider minor, which are which can probably be solved in terms of the ripping off of copyrighted material. But the bigger issue is the two of them are a bias and in which that the systems start creating automated decisions that impacts people's ability to get loans, to get into college, to get accepted, to their credit cards, whether or not they can get a higher balance, whether or not they can get life ins- uh, health insurance. And the issue, of course, I mentioned before is potentially bad data that influences it, but there also can be bias that creeps in because humans design artificial intelligence and they think that this is the way that systems should be used based on their perspective. And they don't realize that all of a sudden, even though it's illegal, for example, to discriminate against race, that the systems can introduce proxies for race based on zip code or or other aspects that actually can be used from a discriminatory perspective. So it can introduce digital redlining. For example, it could exclude people from seeing ads 
for rental properties, maybe based on what the the system perceives as people that may have defaulted and not paid their, their rent on time. And of course, that's illegal. But now that you have a machine doing that, it's more difficult to spot as opposed to some person make a conscience decision, deny person insurance alone based on their personal biases. The second area is the exploitative use. And so we've seen a rise of deep fake pornography. And then we've also seen dark patterns that fool people into doing things as well. And increasingly, we're seeing artificial intelligence being used by hackers to more intelligently fool people in giving their personal information or allowing the hackers to break into accounts. So there's a complete exploitative use of AI that should be of significant concern as well. Yeah, that's one of my biggest concerns about AI is our privacy. You know, I know that the big tech companies, they have a lot of our data. I didn't realize just how much data they could have on us until I went to the App Store to check out the new Threads app from uh, Meta, and it had listed all of the personal data that the app could potentially have on users. Simple stuff, your health, fitness. I was really surprised. I was like, wow, that's a lot of personal data just for this little text messaging, you know, messaging app for people to use it. It's giving up a lot of our freedom. Absolutely. Well, look, I mean, the fundamental thing is, is that most people think that Meta and Google in particular, they offer products, right? And that's how they make money. But actually, their business model is advertising. And so their actual customers are advertisers. And so what they've done is they've built these walled gardens with these very attractive products that are free. And in exchange for the usage of those products, they collect a lot of information. And in the past, it was to serve ads to us. And yes, like if we researched, I don't know, I I need a new lawnmower. And then it's seen for the next five weeks, I got lawnmower ads on every website I ever visited, right? There was a lawnmower showing up right there. So that was like, okay, that's annoying. That's a little creepy, et cetera. But what we're seeing, and it's happened over the last few years, is that this data can be used against people and be can used in discriminatory manners. So the same way that people can target, say, young women with babies to sell them diapers could actually be used to exclude them from seeing rental property ads, for example, or with the Dobbs decision that increasingly in the U.S. that certain what was previously legal is now illegal. And so the digital exhaust that people emit in terms of doing Google searches or Google Maps or, or whatever could actually be used against people as well. And so a wise person once said that, you know, Standard Oil was powerful representing a past monopoly, but they didn't know everything about us. And so what's happening is, is that there's the privacy aspect I fundamentally believe we just have an over-collection of data because it's these large tech companies fundamentally believe that I can, if I collect as much data, eventually I can monetize it as in some way or some form. So they have massive amounts of data on us, and then they use it to feed the AI systems. And with all the new technology like AI and whatever comes next, they are just getting more and more of our data on us and how we spend our money, where we go, just 
about everything. Yeah, actually, I just want to I want to jump in just just and also say that the way that the tech companies, the large tech companies, especially the social media, use that personal information is not only from an advertisement, but they also use it to keep us on the actual platforms. And so they customize and optimize it. And probably the apex predator of keeping us addicted is TikTok, right? Where people say, TikTok knows me better than I know myself. Like, how do they know that I would like that ad? Well, they collect all your little swipes and other little signals that you provide as well. And so what's happening is that data before was used to serve ads, but now the data is going to be used to feed into the actual product and what's presented to you to keep you on the platforms even longer so you can see more ads. So that's another use of artificial intelligence, which is kind of make their products more addictive as well. And that's a concern. And we see that already with apps like TikTok, where kids nowadays, I think what the average American kid, what spends an hour or so or hour or two hours on TikTok and take into account that each video is like 25 seconds. And so you could just multiply that. They're seeing hundreds of videos every day. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, TikTok. I, I don't have a TikTok. I've never been on there. But teaching students, I hear a lot about it, of course, and they are addicted. It, it may be the most addicting app I've seen. You know, I thought Instagram was pretty addicting and, and then Facebook, but I believe TikTok's got them all beat. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's also concerns that is the data being fed into China, right? And then could they use that from an exploitative purpose? But the funny thing is in that argument is that TikTok is basically doing the same thing that American-based companies are doing. And they offer that to advertisers that could also use the data to potentially manipulate us because they're, they know us so well that they can kind of push or nudge us in general directions. And that's why, unfortunately, over the last four to six years, that we've seen a lot of conspiracy theories take hold in a massive way. And part of it is that that the algorithms just kind of feed data that we want and try to keep us more addicted. And so then the, the videos and the content, it becomes more extreme to rile us up more, to get us on there, et cetera. And I think we do have to, we do have some fundamental issues that we do need to address. And I think it first and foremost starts with the overcollection of our data. And then second is that AI does need some guardrails and especially the type of AI that can cause high risk and high harm in terms of making decisions about our health, our financials, our insurance, et cetera. And so I, I do think we do need more regulation here. Yeah. Are there any discussions in Washington about regulations with AI if not, I hope that is something that they'll, they're planning to discuss soon, because I'm afraid it's going to be too late. The AI will be so impactful on our lives, kind of like social media. A few years ago, they had the hearings with Mark Zuckerberg, yeah. which is kind of embarrassing. The different generation, they're obviously, they're trying to interview Mark Zuckerberg and ask him questions, and, and the senators had no idea, because they're different generation, they're all, not on social media. But it, it always seems the laws are always a few years behind the technology. Well, we haven't had a major piece of privacy legislation since the 90s, which was HIPAA 
and Graham Leach Bliley, and that's very sector specific, the healthcare and financial services. So, so it's not just a few years. I mean, the reality is, is that big tech has been able to grow significantly for two major reasons. The first reason is, is that there have been no rules or regulations about what data can be collected. The word privacy is not in the U.S. Constitution, right? And so we have no fundamental privacy rights. And so what's happened in the last few years is now happening at the state level, first with California. And California historically led the nation in consumer protections called the California Effect. And so California came out with a comprehensive privacy bill, and now we're up to 12 states. So that's a good start. But from a federal perspective, there have been talks about it, but they just can't get agreement. And so the states are moving forward. Similarly, from an AI perspective, they're talking about forming a committee to look at it, right? And then meanwhile, there have been starting to be some state proposals, and we had one in California. It got the tech industry kind of rallied against it. It got killed. But to be candid, I really think that you're going to see more action happening at the state level before the federal government gets its act together. But the one thing, I, and I do provide recommendations of what should be in these type of laws, but I just don't want to be a complete Debbie Downer. There, there's actually just talking about the threats and, and all that stuff. Big tech does add, A, big tech does add a lot of value, but B, there are things that consumers can do right now within minutes that can actually make a significant amount of difference in terms of protecting themselves. And I also try to put that in the book as well, that, that consumers can take action to make sure that there's not as much data is collected about them, et cetera. Absolutely. Just one, maybe not use the apps as much, you know, don't give them as much data. It's, it's hard. It's easy to say, oh, just delete this app. Don't use a smartphone. But that's really hard to do in today's society. Your bank accounts online, your, a lot of your work related activities is online. It's much easier said than done just disconnecting from social media and, and these different apps that do have a lot of our data. Yeah, no, look, I mean, especially for young people, it's a digital world, right? And, you know, we just can't, we can't just lock away the computers, the laptops, the iPads, the iPhones, the Android devices, and only hand them out for an hour a day, right? I mean, that's just not the reality because they see their parents using it all the time to get directions, as you said, to use their bank account, et cetera. So what really needs to happen is that you really need to cut off the, the flow of data that can potentially be used against you. And there's actually very simple things you can do. For example, on the iPhone, Apple came out with this feature called App Tracking Transparency, or ATT, not to be confused with AT&T, the telecommunications provider. And that blocks third-party trackers from collecting data about you. And when Apple announced that, Meta said, oh, well, we're going to have a $10 billion shortfall because of the, la the data not flowing. Now, Google doesn't offer something similar on the Android devices, but you can download DuckDuckGo. It's an app, and you don't have to use it from a browsing perspective, but it also, on an Android device, blocks third-party trackers from collecting information. And then if you have a PC, you can download something called Privacy Badger from EFF. These are all free, right? And what it does, it blocks the third-party cookies and the trackers that are trying to collect information about you. And then I also document a few little settings that you can put in Meta and, and on Google and on your phone that also turns off the vast majority of data being collected about you. And literally within 
three or four minutes of just following three or four steps, configuring a few things that you can actually significantly shut down the data flow emanating from you, which not only improves your privacy, but taking into account that hackers are looking for this type of data as well, right? Because they want to use it for identity theft, et cetera. And so it's also a, a personal security issue if you reduce your data footprint. Well, this is always a very interesting topic because, as I said a few moments ago, it's always changing. The technology is always changing. It's, it's amazing where we are versus just a few years ago. It's incredible. Now, Tom, where can listeners purchase your book? Obviously, Amazon. Where are some other retailers that they can purchase a copy? Oh, yeah. No, it's uh, available through online ordering at Target. Walmart, Barnes and Nobles, and just go to your local bookstore and just ask for it and they'll have it there as well. Or you can go to tomkemp.ai, that's my website, and you can learn more about the book and I'll have some links on the website that will direct you to the various places that you can purchase it as well. Well, Tom, I really appreciate your time today. We could sit here and probably discuss this for two hours or more. It's very fascinating. Maybe I can have you on again in the future and we can discuss it again. And when that time comes, I'm sure it'll be completely different discussion than what we're having now. It's changing so much. Absolutely. No, I'd love to come back. And uh, yeah, no, I think, again, I think this book kind of, my goal was to simplify, like, what are the concerns? What are the issues, et cetera? And then if there's like interesting news that comes up on my blog, on my website, I I try to like point people and and kind of provide the executive summary of, of what's going on. So yeah, but no, it, look, we're in a digital age and it's incumbent on us to, you know, make sure that we're protecting ourselves and, and keeping up to date with what's going on. Especially for the next generation. I have a, a toddler. So seeing all this technology, where it's heading, the social media, it, you view it a lot different once you become a father versus, you know, when you, you didn't have kids. So it's even more important to me now than just a few years ago. Absolutely. And oh my gosh, once they start finding TikTok, watch out. So <laughs> yeah, yes. I mean, it's, it's bad enough now with YouTube on the TV and I hope she never discovers TikTok. <laughs> All right. Well, you can follow Tom on Twitter, Tom Kemp 00. And that's a great place to go to keep up. He's always updating it with uh, all the news that is happening in tech. Tom, once again, thank you so much for coming on today. Chad, thanks for having me on.